Hi, and welcome to Mumspire, your go-to place for inspiration, information, and great tips on how you can become a happier and healthier mum. My name is Anna Maria, and I'm your host. I work as a naturopath, nutritionist, herbalist, doula, and yoga instructor. But most importantly, I'm a fellow mum. and welcome back. I say that to you, dear listener, because I am so happy that you're tuning in and listening. But I also say welcome back to myself because it's been a little bit longer than I had anticipated to get back behind the mic and get on to the interviews and editing tasks after having my third baby. I am so passionate about what I do and I love doing these podcast episodes But having a third baby certainly took me by storm. And although I love every moment of it, it is keeping me extraordinarily busy. And I know this is not a surprise to anyone, but I guess it was to me. But never mind, I'm back and I am really excited about the episode today. We're going to be talking about meat. And the reason I'm putting this on to the podcast is because I think it is vital for us as parents to be much more aware and conscious of what we're eating of course, for ourselves, but also for our children. We are, after all, responsible for our children's well-being, what they eat, what they do, how we're raising them. And I think it makes a huge difference when we start to really focus on the quality of our produce, what we're feeding ourselves and our children. There is, of course, a huge debate as to whether meat is healthy or not, or whether we should all go vegetarian or vegan. And I will be upfront right now and say that I do eat meat and I also advocate for eating meat. But I'm very particular when it comes to what type of meat and the quality. And I pay a lot of attention to where my meat comes from. And I explain this to all of my clients in my clinic that not any meat is okay. You have to actually make sure that it is the good quality, the highest quality available and also hopefully somewhat local or as local as possible. So I decided to sit down and have a chat with my local butcher, who I admire a lot for what he does and his produce and his philosophy behind his work. And I thought it would be interesting for you to sort of get behind the scenes because it can be quite a labyrinth to navigate through when we don't know exactly why we have to spend money on this type of meat or that type of meat or why is there such a massive difference in costs from let's say a chicken in the supermarket to a chicken in a high quality butcher. So I wanted to have a a frank conversation with my local butcher and I hope that you enjoy this conversation. I really encourage you to pay attention to what you're buying and ask the right questions to your local butchers and If we could ask the questions in the supermarket, we probably wouldn't get that far. But it really is about us starting to be more aware of what we're buying, what we're eating and what we're feeding our children, because that is the difference between our own welfare, our own health, but also the environment. So although there is a lot of focus on meat being bad for the environment, it probably is more about coming down to the amount that we're eating the amount of produce that we have and really looking at that 
with a very strict eye and paying attention to the overproduction, the overconsuming. That's probably, in my opinion, where we need to pay a little bit more attention rather than just saying one or the other is bad and not giving it more wiggle room than that. So I'm really excited to share this episode with you. Joel is the owner of Kingsmall Meats, which is available in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. It's a family-owned and operated butcher that sources high-quality meats from small, independent and local farmers who treat the animals humanely and raise them sustainably. He focuses on free-range, organic, and all of his meats are both hormone and antibiotic-free. He's passionate about what he does. He's a family man and has put all of his heart and passion behind his business. I admire his work as being an ethical butcher, and I absolutely love having these conversations with him. So I hope that you will enjoy and learn from this conversation that I had recently with Joel. Thank you so much for coming today, Joel. I'm really excited to be talking about this very important topic of grass-fed meat and also looking at cost efficiency and also looking at the ethical sides of things. I would love to just hear a little bit more about you as a family man, a father, and a butcher owner. I've been a butcher for nearly 30 years now. I have uh, two businesses, one in Rose Bay and one in Roseberry. I've been a dad for well, 24 years. My oldest child is 24. I have six children, um, five daughters and a son. And I started my own shops basically nearly six years ago now and sort of focused them around good, clean, honest products and meat. And yeah, we've been able to build a great little business out of the beliefs of farmed and ethically raised meat. And when did it start for you? What made you, what prompted you to suddenly want to do this? Probably going really back to when I started butchering in Darwin. I'm born in Darwin and that was all I did know. Um, everything was just farmed meat. It was whole carcasses. We done all the work there. And when I come to Sydney, everything seemed to be out of, out of a carton or a box and, yeah, it just didn't really sit right with me and um, I found it easier to go back to what I was taught to do and what I believed in because I, I think the best meat comes straight from, from the farmer. Someone that does care about what they're doing to start with always uh, makes for a better product, I believe. So with Kingsmore Meats, you're only really selling grass-fed, grass-finished and organic produce, is that correct? Yeah, all our produce is grass started and finished or pasture raised. With pork and chicken is, well, my hillside chickens are all pasture raised chickens. We do Berkshire Talabung Berkshire pork, which is a free range heritage breed pork. But of course, pigs all do eat grain, so they're not pasture raised. But our chickens are, our ducks are, all our beef is 100% grass started and finished. And most of our lamb that we get through is Omeo lamb or um, we do an organic lamb down there as well. And we do a little bit of June gold, but all completely grass started and finished. And so maybe we need to just explain or talk about what does it mean to have grass fed and grass finished produce because there was a trend years ago that everything should be grain fed and now suddenly we're talking about grass fed so this thing this trend keeps changing but obviously as a nutritionist I talk about grass fed and grass finished not only due to better welfare for the animals but also nutritionally because of the omega-3 and omega-6 balance within the animal that you actually have a 
a low inflammatory produce and you have a much healthier product. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll start with grain-fed meat. Grain-fed meat has became very popular really because it's easier to grow, it's easier to control the animal, it's easier to get the animal bigger, quicker, and it also guarantees the majority of the time a tender finished product. And that's due to the animal storing the fat rather than being able to digest the fat with grain-fed animals. So all of that marbling you see is because the poor animal can't digest it. It can't, especially with, with cows um, or steers. They're meant to eat grass. They're not meant to eat grain. They're not meant to stand still. They're supposed to be out in the paddocks. And when they're force-fed grain, their muscles marble because the fat stores rather than being able to be digested. When you cook it, it does mean that the meat's usually more tender and a richer flavour but due to the fat that's in it. But that fat is, like you say, is omega-6 fat because it actually changes the bloodline of the animal. So if you take a completely grass-fed animal, it'll have omega-3 fats, which is what we're looking for. You know, we do have to have some omega-6s, but not as much as we do the omega-3s. And there's as in a good piece of grass-started and finished steak, there's as much omega-3s as there is in a bit of salmon. Now, the beauty of that is most of our fish in Australia is all farmed. We can still have a great grass-fed product with beautiful omegas in it by, by eating grass-started and finished red meat. So that trend that with the grain-fed and grass-fed was really brought on by, I suppose, the American market and restaurants. You know, restaurants want that grain-fed meat because it guarantees that it's tender. They don't want customers saying, well, you know, the meat wasn't as health for ourselves and for our children as a, a health benefit. Grass-fed meats are just so much better for us. And, and the you know, the cheaper cuts in grass-fed meats are the ones that you slow cook the ones that are better for us again you know so it gets us back to that whole head to tail where we really moved away from that i feel a few years ago is why everything was in a carton because we just wanted to eat the fillet steak the chicken breast fillets um we sort of i think we lost our way with cooking and with what is actually good for us and good for our kids and i know having six children you know i struggle every night at uh, dinner time trying to get them to eat their greens eat their meat and that's just because i think you know well i spoil them (laughs) (laughs) fair enough (laughs) well i think that's a really good way of understanding the difference between the grain and the grass-fed setup for the animal. I don't think that many people probably think about that or understand that bit. So it's really about the health of the animal and their ability to break down and absorb the grass versus the grains. Are cows, for example, ever fed grains, even when they're pasture-raised? Every now and then, you know, especially here in Australia, um, you've got to understand on a farmer's point of view, when we have massive droughts and there is no grass, sometimes it can't be helped, you know, you know, there's still hay and, and things that can, but if there's no grass growing, it's hard to get your hay. And so, yeah, I would say that they are. And, and unfortunately with the whole grass fed and organic, the way it's been set up, it is a little hard to understand as a customer. Legally in the meat market, people, well, not so much wholesalers, but we can be sold even as a butcher, um, and a butcher shop owner grass-fed meat that has been finished on grain for 30 days or less, which is still not ideal. 
That's why it's really important when you go into your butcher that you ask, is it grass started and finished? Because if you just ask if it's grass started legally and they're not doing anything wrong, they, they can say yes and, and the meat can still be finished on grain, as is why I like the fact that I've got a really good relationship with, with quite a few different farmers and I know exactly where my meat comes from. Um, it all comes in this whole body, some Emerald Hill, Gundui, Eversons, it also our Kianina that comes in from Sam Walker over in Victoria. It's all 100% grass started and finished. You know, I can tell you where the animal's from. You can ring the farmer. You can go and see the farmer. Um, our chickens with Daniel from Hillside Pasture raised chickens. He's the same. Pork from Talabung from Michael Williams. You know, I, I can give you the province of where all these animals have come from. And I think it's very important that as a consumer that you ask them questions when you go into a butcher shop, because if you don't, unfortunately, in the retail business, they're just going to sell you something because they want your money. Yeah, it's definitely it's that conversation that has to be had. And I think for us as parents to start considering one thing is local produce, but understanding where the food comes from, because we are, as you said, moving further and further away from that connection to the food. So, you know, when you came here, it was you suddenly realized everything was in packages and everything is wrapped up and sold as meats per cut rather than you buy a big piece and you do slow cooking and things like that. So I think it is important that we build a connection to the farmer so we feel that we really understand where this meat is coming from. And that has to be passed on to our children, this connection to food, that it's not just something we fill in our mouth and just, you know, fill the void and off we go. It, it should really be more than that, in my opinion, especially when we're looking at ethical produce, because obviously our environment is struggling greatly and meat is very much in the spotlight when it comes to the environment. That's for sure. So it is important to understand how can we do this in the best possible way. And one obviously is that the animal has been treated well and has been raised on grass and that it's local. So it hasn't traveled from God knows where. And so there is that connection and having that connection with your butcher. Yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, I think there has been a, a big push to the whole head to tail and, and the province of where the produce is coming from, especially in meat. I think the downside to that is that it's still quite expensive and that's just due to not enough people really getting on board with making sure that they're eating grass started and finished meat and you know the farmer um, it's still cheaper for him to grow the grain fed meat and it's guaranteed that it's tender and it's got a sale whether it be here or overseas but I, I do think that you're you're right Anna as we've we've really lost our way with the whole making sure that animal is treated well you know these these animals they die for a reason they die to keep us fed and you know it's really important that that we understand the reason you know well that they've had a great a good life i mean most of my farmers you talk to they all all say to me look you know the animals have one bad day in their life and that's the day before they come to you um and that's unfortunate but that's what we do you know we produce this beautiful meat to feed ourselves um and i think having the respect for the them animals that have died so that we can eat well is very important and it's very important that we understand and also educate ourselves on how to eat 
the whole animal, you know, so that all of it is is getting used. And in doing that, you know, the, it's sort of really less, you know, we will eat less meat in a way because we're not just eating the good bits and sending the other bits overseas. And it's just, it's really important to get back to, to basics when it, when it comes to the, the eating of, um, of our food and, and enjoying cooking is also very important. Maybe we should talk about the cost of grass-fed because that's one question I get a lot in clinic is when I demand my patients and highly recommend that they should only really eat grass-fed and grass-finished meat due to their health. Often I deal with very inflammatory conditions and things like that. So they have to focus on this if they want to eat meat. And it is true, it is more costly when you look at the price when you walk into a butcher shop versus let's say go to Coles or Woolies, it does look more expensive. Do you want to comment on that? It is definitely a little bit more expensive. The two reasons behind that is one reason is the the fact that for a farmer to produce 100% grass-fed or pasture-raised meat, it's it's a more lengthy um, exercise for him to, well, we'll take chicken for instance, you know, chicken in a hatchery is... um, pretty much on our plate in six weeks um, from the time it's hatched because they're force-fed, they're not let outside, they're just, they, they're, they're born to get big as quick as, as quick as we can. And compared to a true free-range chicken or organic chicken, that's normally on the ground for between 26 to 36 weeks. So, um, and it also is in the elements, you know, you've got foxes and snakes and all those sorts of things that we don't really think about because we just go to the supermarket or the butcher and pick up a chicken and take it home. Um, and that's what makes it a little bit more expensive. But as I was saying previously, if we really educate ourselves on eating on cooking sorry not eating um it's not so much more expensive um you know there's so many things that you can do with a whole chicken that that will give you more than one meal so yeah walking into a butcher shop opposed to walking into Woolies and Coles and buying a chicken for ten dollars and spending thirty dollars on a chicken in a butcher shop like a hillside pasture raised chicken um, seems quite expensive but if you go home and get three meals out of that um, well I don't think it's overly expensive if you've fed your fam- family of four you know you can feed them two really good meals off a chicken uh, which is eight meals divide that into $30 it's not a lot of money really and you're eating something that is one very good for you being raised correctly helping a farmer um, and that's that's sort of the way to to bring the eating costs or sorry the meat costs down is to um, to look at what you're going to feed your family. Um, grass-fed mints we are in, in my shop. Um, not trying to promote myself, but in in my shop we bring in whole carcasses, which means that we have a lot of trim. Um, and a lot of cuts that will end up in going into mints. You know, two kilos of grass started and finished mints, $25. Well, that's $12.50, um, a kilo on mints. It's not, you know, and on two kilos of mints, you can make a lot of meals for a family of four. So it is expensive to eat some of the cuts, um, on an everyday basis that we are used to eating, like having fillet steak three times a week and chicken breast fillets. It will be, it will be more expensive than eating the 
you know, your Woolworths or your Coles or, um, and even sometimes the grain fed meat. But it's also, um, probably not to, to, sorry, to, uh, to be, you know, we don't want to eat steak three times a week. We should be mixing it up with, with these other meals, you know, a little bit of lamb, a little bit of pork, a vegetarian meal, which, um, I shouldn't be talking about being a butcher, but, um, um, fish, all of those things are very important that we, we have a good mix of what we're eating. So in terms of it being more expensive, it is, but if you budget your meals, you know, it, you will find that if you went into a, a, a good local butcher that was doing good grass-fed and finished produce and pasture-raised produce, um, he would be able to help you sort of get around the fact that you would have to spend $200 a week on on meat um, to to be able to give you, we should be able to give you some ideas of some meals that you can make, like the mince, um, you know, the whole chicken, maybe steak one night, a roast, um, and you, you will find that, that it is actually quite affordable to eat good grass started and finished meat. The one of the things, Joel, that I love about you as a Bujan and, and as an individual is your ethics. And the reason why I have you here is because it is hard to come about real ethical butchers. And I have tried because I always strike up a conversation when I go into a butcher and I have for many, many years because I think it's very hard to navigate because I, I do love meat, but I also do worry a lot about the environment and the quality. And of course, being a mum, you know, I worry about the cost too. But what I do love is that um, when we've previously talked many times about these things, um, these specific topics, you always mention that you know and you agree that we shouldn't be eating meat all the time. It's something that should be in our diet. And that's what you and I believe um, for health reasons. It's not that we should be eating a steak every night or anything like that. It's certainly not a healthy thing to do. And I love that you do have that approach that when then when mums come into your shop and you can sort of map it out for them and make it cost efficient. And then, of course, you have the more luxury cuts and more expensive things for every now and then, which is, I mean, which is great. But it is doable. And I think that's what I love about you is that you're willing to go the extra mile to educate every single customer that comes in and show them that it's not about the $30 chicken and the, the very expensive cuts, but there are other ways you can do it when you need to. So I think it is definitely worth mentioning the vegetarians and you can certainly do that because it is a wonderful side to you as an individual that you actually do care a lot about these things. You know, we, we all love to, especially me being a, a bloke, you know, there's nothing better than going into a restaurant and having the 750 gram steak that's on the menu. But yeah, you're right. We don't need that. You know, we need 150 to 200 grams of steak on our plate. So when it comes to eating and, and eating good meat and being at home, it's great to splurge every now and then. And that's what we should do. There's that's, I think, an appreciation. One of the appreciations of being able to do that every now and then is yes, you go out or whether or not you're having that barbecue at home and you come into a butcher shop and you say, look, can I have six? 750 four weeks aged uh, T-bones, you know, that's great to do that every now and then. But we've certainly, I I feel, been spoiled in the past that we always have eaten massive amounts of um, steak opposed to if you put a 200-gram steak on the plate for Dad at home, it is enough, you know, with uh, with the with the veggies and make sure he eats his veggies and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, 
you know, it, it's more than enough and it also makes it a lot more affordable to, to put into your budget where you don't have to have three kilos of fillet steak to feed a family of four. Really, you know, you need 800 grams and, and that's, you know, if you've got kids, that's probably still even a little bit too much. But that also comes back to we have been so lucky in Australia for so long that meat has been really, really cheap and it's something I think everyone's struggling with a little bit at the moment that the meat prices have really gone up in the last 12 months across board. Um, but I feel that... Um, and, and that's for me also, even though I buy off the farmer, it's, um, you know, them meat prices are going up. The farmers are finally getting what they're worth. And it, it's almost makes it worthwhile for them to do what they're doing because before it was such a, a cutthroat business when it come to, to them trying to do the right thing. It was hard for them to make money at the end of it. So a lot of them, you know, Walked away. I, I recently have been up to, um, a sheep farmer that had Gundawindi. Um, and, you know, farming is one of the jobs that they think won't be around for much longer. It's like a postman. And that's due to it being so hard and so hard to make any money that none of the young people are getting into the agriculture, which is something that, you know, was been the backbone of Australia for so many years. But, um, we really lost our way with it because it's so hard for these farmers to make any money. So personally, I don't think meat's too expensive. I think it's sort of getting to where it needs to be, which for ourselves and to try to feed our families, it's all about making sure we use all of what we do purchase and bring home and getting back to eating what we need to eat, not what we want to eat is our way around it. Yeah, well, that leads to my other question, which is that thing of the cuts of meat. I know you mentioned it you briefly earlier in regards to using the leftovers and not throwing things out and stuff like that. But I often recommend doing slow-cooked stews, lambs and things like that, where you actually use the bones as well and you actually get so much more nutrition out of it. And I'm probably mostly coming from a nutritional point of view, but it is also more cost-effective, isn't it? When you start to, you know, if you do a roast chicken, you use the meat and then you take the meat off. Maybe you use some of the meat for lunch boxes at school and then you use the bones to cook up soups and other things perhaps. Is that how, what do you recommend to mums if you want to get really cost-effective? Definitely, definitely. It, it is all about, I grew up on leftovers, you know, um, and I, I think that we can make some of the, the best meals and meals that are really good for us out of leftovers. And like we spoke about a chicken, you know, chicken can be turned into three meals. You can have your roast chicken on, on Sunday night and with the leftovers, throw whatever white meats are left on the chicken after you've had that into, you know, the lunch boxes or a salad for the next night and then use the carcass to make a beautiful soup. It's still going to give you, might not be a lot of meat left on it, but it's still going to give you all the nutrition from the bones and it's going to give you that beautiful flavor and it, and it's another meal. Um, you know, and it, and it makes that chicken very cost effective to, to buy that pasture raised chicken, but it's all sorts of slow cooked, um, meals. That are, that are one cheaper, um, and also two better for us. Um, you know, you go in and buy yourself a kilo of chuck steak. It'll cost you 16, $17 a kilo. Um, now, you know, a kilo of chuck steak in a casserole, you know, that would feed my family for three days, you know, 
So you okay if you want to just to have a casserole for a night? Well, then you need four hundred grams because you got your potatoes and your carrots. You got all of these whole foods that are going into it that make it the meal. It's not just about having that massive bit of steak on your plate with a small bit of broccoli and a couple of beans and a bit of potato. It's um it's a meal in itself, and and they're good hearty meals. And you, Anna, would know more than me, but, you know, all of these things are cooked at such a low temperature that they're so much better for us. I know trans fats start changing at 160 degrees. Well, you do a slow cook, it's at 90 degrees. So everything that you're eating is so good for you. And um, it's just, I think, such a better way to make your meals and also to make your meals so much more cost-effective right across board, you know, all of the, the blades, the chucks, the gravy beefs, the osso-buccos, um, the lamb shanks, the lamb shoulders, um, they're all cheaper cuts and cuts that you can just do so much with. Um, you know, a lamb shoulder, you do a slow-cooked lamb shoulder on Sunday night and do pulled lamb sandwiches the next day, um, turn it into a curry the next day, and, and that's across board. But I think that comes back to... One, I know we're all a little bit time poor um, these days, but you've got to want to cook. And as long as you, you know, you've got that little bit of a love for cooking and you give yourself that time to prepare your meals for the week. Um, you can't do a lamb, slow cooked lamb shoulder at five o'clock on Monday afternoon when you've picked up the kids from school, finished work. Um, but you can do it in the morning before you go to work in your slow cooker and come home and your meal's done. I actually think that, and I recommend this all the time really, is that not only, you know, when we're looking at the cost that you just talked about, but if you plan, let's say you plan your week ahead and, you know, and we do have kids and so on, we kind of have to plan our days. Otherwise, it gets very stressful at five o'clock every day. But if you do say, let's do a, you know, a soup and a slow cooked meal on the weekend, that you actually have for most of the week's dinners. And if you freeze it or put it in the fridge, you actually set up for the week and that takes the stress out of it. And you then also know that you have all those wonderful nutrients from the bones. It's been cooked at a low temperature that you mentioned, all those things. So I think we've actually covered the whole stress levels. We've covered nutrition. We've covered the cost of it by doing it that way. So I think it's absolutely worth it. And the truth is that it actually takes more time if you go shopping every day or every two days, then throw steaks on the barbecue or steaks on the pan, cook that. So if you're cooking every night, you're constantly spending time in the kitchen. Whereas if you prepare yourself and have these stews and soups ready, then you just pull them out and warm them up. Very, very different when it comes to, you know, being time efficient as a family. So I think it's definitely a way forward. And I personally love it. I'm getting quite hungry now talking about all these great things. Now, what I really care about and hopefully a lot of other people care about is I love knowing that the meat that I buy is not only packed with nutrition, the animal has had a good life. It sort of takes all the pain out of it, I think. And I want to also know that these farmers that are doing the right things that you're in contact with are doing okay. Cause I often think it's that thing. It's just this unknown other side to it that we don't, that us consumers are not at all involved with because we don't go to the farms and speak to the farmers, but we just sort of have this, oh, well, I need to buy organic now, or I need to buy grass fed now, grain fed or whatever. And we try and do our best, but we're so detached. And you just touched on it earlier. Are you actually seeing that these farmers that you're dealing with, are they doing better? Is there an improvement? Are people actually 
putting the money in the right directions for these farmers to be okay? Um, yeah, def- I think definitely there's, there's been a big trend and a big change towards that. Um, the farmers have survived so long by putting all of their good meat into the overseas market because that's where the money's been. But certainly over the last few years, I, I know, well, through my dealings with farmers, taking it away from that middleman where everything was so mass produced with the grain fed and the, the chickens and we bought, you know, we rang a carton wholesaler and bought, that's where we bought our meat from to going back to where it is now I deal with, well, my beef, for instance, I've got four places that the majority of my beef comes from. And I know all the farmers personally, one of them's actually my partner and they get the money. I don't, you know, I pay them a little over market price to get the best of what they got in the paddocks. And it's not them going and selling it um, to a wholesaler that's going to, you know, that's going to nail them down for price and just take their whole stock and so the farmer is actually having a win because they walk away from the market going, well, that's great. I've just sold my meat to to Joel at the butcher shop and he's given me what I should be getting for it, not, you know, $2 a kilo cheaper than what I should be getting for it so that the wholesaler who doesn't really do any of the work, doesn't grow it, doesn't cut it, doesn't educate the customers, just simply sits there on a the phone and rings and says, Oh, listen, I've got, you know, this and you can have it at this price. Um, so I think that the dealing and it's happening more, but the butchers getting back to dealing with the farmers. That's what we used to do. You know, we used to buy our meat off farmer Joe down the road that, that had, you know, four cows that needed to go to market. So it's getting back to basics, I think of, um, you know, and I know that in some cases that's hard because, our woolies and coals, you know, how do you feed a Woolworths or coals from small farmers? Well, you don't, but that's, you know, that's why their meat's not as good. Sorry, just having a dig there, but, um, it's, it, it, it is, you know, the farmer needs to get what he's put in to growing them, them animals and whether it's fish, beef, lamb, pork, they, they do all the hard work, you know, to give us, um, to give us this beautiful produce. I mean, uh, I'll just take my, my hams, for instance. You know, I, I get every year, my ham sales go up every year at Christmas time and everybody comes back and tells me that I've got the, the best ham in Sydney. And, um, the reason behind that is Michael at Talabung breeds the most beautiful black Berkshire pigs. You know, they're a traditional heritage breed pig. Um, and that's whether I don't do anything different to them. I just, turn them into hams, you know. It's not like I put some secret ingredients into them. They've just been bred very well and that shows when you get that finished product um, as does when you when you get a really good steak from down from us. You know, people come back and go, oh, that three weeks aged T-bone that I had was just amazing. You know, the flavour, it was so tender. It's because I've aged it for three weeks, which is what it should be and it's been grown well and looked after and... That's why it's good meat and, um, you know, that that we owe that to the farmers, to these guys that are still very passionate about what they're doing. Um, and unfortunately, there's there's less and less of them, but I think that the trend is definitely changing and, and the farmers are, they're, they're having a small win at the moment, you know, so that's, I think it's great that they're, 
that the meat prices have gone up. Unfortunately for us as consumers, that's not so great. But, um, you know, I always look at it and go, well, if you want a bottle of red on, uh, on Saturday night, you always pay that $10 more. So that's sort of just how it is. Yeah, well, and, and as we said, you know, it's not that we necessarily have meat every night, but it, it is more just, you know, spending the money where we need to and knowing that, that it's the whole cycle, it's the full synergy between the farmer and the animal and the environment and so on. I think it's very important that we don't lose track of that and, and, and only hone in on our little dinner plate every night and our little finances. I think it is fascinating to start building up that connection with the farmers and, and I, you know, have big plans for you and I to go and visit some of your farms so we can talk to them and, and just to sort of try and if we can extend this knowledge out, the more the better, I think, because I think genuinely people do want to know. It's just that why would they take the time to do it? So we might just have to be the ones that facilitate that. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, and the, I mean, look, the beauty of these farmers is they, they've not had this happen for so long. So they actually love us coming up to the farm, you know, to, to know what, because like you said before, no one's sort of really give a damn before, you know, it's about us being time poor and, you know, we want the fillet steak for Friday night's dinner. So you walk in and you expect to have it. And that we sort of have lost our connection with, what really does happen and to get up to these farmers is just it's amazing because these guys they are really really hard workers um you know and they rely on on us to to consume their what they're doing for them to make a living and um i think you know when you go up there and you show some appreciation for what they're doing that they're you know they're they're all such lovely guys they all are happy to take the time out of the day to, you know, to have you up at the farm, you know, normally extend, you know, the farm, the farmhouse for you to, you know, they feed you. They, um, they're just are so friendly and welcoming, welcoming, um, that it's, a, yeah, that it, it, it actually, is, it's a shame that there's not more of it going on. And, and as that's what I said before, that most of, well, not most, all of the guys that I use um, in in our shops are um, all more than happy to have a conversation with you on the phone. Or if you wanted to go up to the farm, that you know, they they love people dropping in and um, and having a look at what they're doing because they don't have anything to hide. Um, so that's no bother for them. You know, they're there working day in and day out, like we're here now working. It's uh, it's what they do. And I think that's probably the real truth to this, this whole ethical side of things, isn't it? That there is that transparency when you have a farmer who is doing this because it's his life work. It's his passion. It's what probably what his whole family has done. And so there is that passion behind it. And that is very, very different from the mass productions of the, the chicken productions that are extraordinarily sad and all kinds of other things. So, you know, yeah, it'd be great if we could take the time out or school holidays to go and visit farms and build that connection. And that makes it a lot easier for us to maybe spend the money and have and understand why we should put the money where the good farmers are actually doing the great work. Can I just ask you in regards to the chickens? I think we're all loved a good roast chicken. What is the deal with when you go into a supermarket, for example, um, or a butcher shop that's not necessarily focused on grass-fed and grass-finished, when you see it says a free range on the chicken, what does that mean versus getting an organic chicken or getting one from Hillside from you? With, with chicken, chicken is a little bit tricky. It's um, 
Unfortunately, it hasn't been policed too well with the free range and the organic. Well, I believe that it hasn't. I shouldn't say it, but it's um, it's made it very hard for the consumer. Um, so I like to normally, uh, normally when I'm talking to any of my customers, I break it down into um, more or less three categories, and that is organic, true free range, free range. Um, and I suppose then if you want to go four categories, you have your hatchery birds, birds that are just born, bred in sheds. But a free-range chicken only needs to have access to a grassed area. They don't have to actually go there. So me and you, Anna, we could buy a property down the road here, build a big shed, put the chickens in the shed, have two grass areas at either end, them chickens don't ever have to even go out there if they, you know, but as long as we've given them access, we can legally call them free range, which I feel is a bit sad because it, it leaves the consumer, you know, they think they're doing the right thing. You walk in, you buy this chicken that's free range and you're thinking, geez, that's a great price. It's still only $10, but it's because it's not really been grown much different than a hatchery chicken. So, that has become quite hard for us to understand. And then you go to a somewhere like a true free-range chicken, and I get this question all the time with my hillside chickens because they're not organic. People go, well, why should I have that over an Ingham's organic chicken? And the answer to that is, yes, Daniel's got an amazing farm um, up at Wagga Wagga, but he he's not gone down the road of getting it certified organic, um, but his farming is all organic. There's no pesticides. They don't use any antibiotics on any of the chickens. Their chickens are outside 24 hours. They don't have hatcheries. They have coops that they come back into overnight. And so he's got what I call a true free-range chicken that is outside in the elements you know, for 18 hours a day um, doing what a chicken's supposed to be doing, eating grasshoppers and worms and all of that sort of stuff. And then we get to organic, which your certified organic chickens are, well, and now, sorry, now on the market, there is also free range organic chickens, which means that they're outside the limits. But even with our organic, we can buy an organic property Um have the chickens in a shed the majority of the day outside for so many hours a day, feed them organic pellets or whatever else we want to feed them, and they're legally called organic. So there's that real confusion. I, I then I even get confused, you know, over over what's what's good and what's what's not. Um, I certainly, with the produce that, that I sell, and I've sold organic chickens um, on plenty of occasions, and there is some really good organic chickens out there. There is also what I like to call some factory-farmed organic chickens um, out there. Um, but I think that you're always, if you, if you ask your butcher, um, and he can tell you where they come from, and he can speak to you about the owner and how they're raised, then generally he will be doing the, the right thing. But it all comes down to the flavour. And, um, I mean, I would, anyone that comes in and buys a chicken off me, a hillside farm chicken, they come back and say, that was the best bloody chicken I've ever had. You know, it tastes like a chicken again. And that is just because it's, it is doing what chickens are supposed to. Um, opposed to, you know, you buy, um, a free range chicken from a supermarket. They still don't have any flavour, and they don't have any flavour for the reason that they're not outside. They're not 
getting that beautiful sun. Um, and chickens need that sun to, to just like we do. You know, it's where they get a lot of their vitamins from. Um, and they're not eating what chickens normally eat. You know, if you, you have a chicken at, at home in your backyard, it's not knocking on your door asking you for wheat bicks. It's, uh, it's out eating, eating what it's supposed to be eating in the, in the garden. You know, you don't hear from it. Um, and that's the difference with the flavor of them. So hearing all that, I mean, it's extraordinarily frustrating as first off, because as you say, you know, we're all confused really by all these sort of very hidden um, rules around what does these labels mean means because you can go into a supermarket and, and you see free range and there's a picture of a chicken on the grass and it looks great to us consumers and boom, off we go with a $10 chicken or whatever. But so to me, it sounds like the question is really, has the chicken been outside? For the majority of the chicken's life, because that sounds to me where the, where the difference really is. Because you can actually get the label, which drives me crazy, is you can get the label with organic because maybe the land is organic, but that doesn't mean the chicken has been on it. And that's frightening to hear that, that the chicken might still have been inside being fed grains or organic grains of anything, but that still makes a massive difference nutritionally that whether the, the chicken has been eating grains versus grass and worms and all kinds of bugs in the grass. Massive difference. So the question is really, has this chicken been raised outside naturally and not inside a massive shed? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, the, 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 it, totally. The chickens, if they've been raised properly, um, then, you know, you, you will taste the difference. And I shouldn't drop names, but I'm going to go back to some um, marketing that went on just before Christmas, actually. Um, and it was Lilydale chickens, you know, and if you actually look up the ad, their ad says free, our free range chickens, you know, it's all in the packaging and they point to the free range label that they've got on their package. Now, to me, it was just, you know, crazy, I think, marketing because what's all in the packaging? How does it, because it's got free range written on it, doesn't mean you, you, you don't have to explore um, just, well, Lilydale chickens, you know, um, most of them uh, have got access areas to to grass, um, to an outside area. They're not, um, and, you know, look, Lilydale's probably one of the better ones than, than some of the other free-range chickens that are on the markets, but... It is just, well, it's so alarming that I, I think that they've been able to get away with that free range labeling because the consumer doesn't understand. So yeah, it is really important to sort of really ask questions when you go to the butcher shop. And as a butcher and a butcher, small butcher shop owner, I think that's one of the last things that we've got because when you go into Woolies and Coles, you can't ask them questions. You know, generally there's someone packing the meat there and yeah, it is all in the labeling because that's all you've got to read. But go into the butcher shop and I'll probably get stones thrown at me from other butchers. But if you go into a butcher shop and you ask if the meat's been, is it the, the steaks grass started and finished or the chicken's free range or the chicken's organic um, or the chicken's organic or free range and the guy behind the counters, well, says to you, well, I don't know or is um, humming and ahhing or I'll go and find out. Well, generally nine times out of ten, no, it's not because um, – the people that you will be able to get your best produce off will know what it is because they'll have a passion for that produce because that, and that's why they'll be getting it. 
Um, so that I think is the most important as a consumer to go in and, and, and ask a couple of questions. Don't think that, you know, that you're, you're being a, a pain in the butt or anything else. You know, ask some questions. You're eating it. You're feeding it to your family. You know, I know my kids are the most important thing, um, uh, to me. Um, and you know, what we give them, we want to know what we're giving them as well as ourselves, but because, um, it's, I think one of the last luxuries we've, we've got left, you know, it's, uh, is to be able to eat well. And that's all about asking what you're eating because unfortunately with the, our lives being so busy and everything as hectic seven days a week and, you know, supermarkets open 24 hours a day, we have really lost our ways when it comes to food. You know, we just walk in and grab things off the shelf, down the aisles, you've done your shopping, it's in a trolley and away you go and you, and you go home. We don't know what we're eating. And, um, you know, and that I think is a big part in keeping small businesses, small bakeries, small butcher shops, the seafood guys, um, the deli guys in business because what we teach our kids is what they're going to teach their kids. And, you know, if we're shopping in a supermarket, just pulling meat off the shelves and packets of pre-done stuff, well, they're going to do exactly the same. So we, um, I feel that that's where we've lost our, lost our way a little bit with the food, you know, and the supermarkets up and down their miles is very easy. It's easy to make, you make your meals by, um, grabbing the taco shells and the pre-mixed taco mix and all of that sort of stuff rather than making a good meal. Oh, that just sounds scary to me, really. <laughs> the way to, for a busy mum like me and busy families like you, how would a mum go about approaching this way of eating and, and deciding, okay, well, I want to do the right thing because, you know, my mantra is always using food as medicine rather than not caring every single day for years and then suddenly becoming unwell or that God forbid your children are unwell. We got to spend the money, I believe, every single day and the intention of cooking and preparing our food so that we are nurturing ourselves. And that really is medicine, in my opinion, in natural medicine, if you wish. So if we do that and if we take that approach, what would be the most manageable way to do this for a mum? Like what are your top three most cost-effective, time-effective ways for a mum or a busy family to get their weekly shop, let's say, from you? Are you available online? Do you do deliveries? Yep, we are available online and we, we do do deliveries. We also can do phone orders. As I said, we've got the, the two shops, um, so you can ring up, place your order and you know, swing by and pick it up if, um, if that's what you, you want to do. And the most cost effective way I think to do that is to do your weekly shop, not your, you know, so that it does take a little bit of planning and we try and have different things, you know, little specials, um, every week. Um, so always ring up or if it's online, we will always advertise what we've got on special, but they're a good way to shop because, um, well, for instance, like the mince, I, I mentioned it's always great to have some mince in the freezer. There's nothing wrong with freezing meat. You know, we've been doing it for millions and millions of years. Frozen meat is the best to keep your meat if you, if you have, if you don't have the time to shop every day. So cost effectively, you would need to prepare, not so much prepare, but have an idea about what you wanted to cook for the week. You know, mince is always a good one to have in the fridge. Um, a whole chicken goes so far. Slow cooked lamb shoulders, slow cooked pork shoulders. Um, 
any of your slow-cooked cuts, your lamb shanks, um, beef osso buccos, diced chuck, all that sort of stuff. You can just prepare, like we spoke about before, you can prepare so many meals so quickly and a couple of hours in the kitchen one day a week will prepare your week's worth of, and if you think about the time you spend in the kitchen every afternoon trying to cook something for for Dad and the kids and um, and yourself, it you spend a lot more time doing it daily. So that would be the most cost-effective way, just come up with a plan of what you wanted to cook or speak with Anna and um, and get her recipes off her. Great idea. Great idea, Joel. I love it. So really it's, it's about, you know, planning a little bit in advance, which I often recommend to my mums in my clinic. And I do it personally because otherwise I just, I can't cope. It's all too busy. And then either placing, you know, orders online and get them delivered or pick it up or speak to you on the phone. I mean, I would definitely, if you're new to this uh, concept of building a relationship with your farmer or the meat that you're eating for that matter, I would highly recommend that you maybe go in and visit the guys at Kingsmall Meats so, and have a conversation with them and let them take you through the different meats and, and, you know, maybe how to cook them and things like that. Like ask, these guys are extraordinarily passionate about what they're doing and they know their stuff. So it might be worth having that conversation so that you, the individual, and you personally feel that you're building a connection and who knows where that will lead to. But I do think that that will be a nice first step and then setting up some type of, of delivery or pickup so that it takes the stress out of getting it. And then you're not tempted to get the very sad chicken and piece of meat from the aisles in the supermarket. But Joel, I want to thank you so much for coming. It's a really passionate topic because it covers so many different elements that are very important to us individuals, money and ethical and environment. There are so many topics here that are red hot. I think it is so beneficial for parents to get involved and to understand our, you know, local produce, understand the farmers, understand why we need to eat in ways that are healthy for our bodies, not just to fill the hunger, but to actually nourish us. And when we actually get the right produce and meat and fish and vegetables and so on, that we actually spend the time knowing where it's come from. I really want to thank you for coming and obviously <laughs> spending your time with us. I love your passion and your involvement in it. And, and you're, I can always see it when we talk about it, when we talk about the farmers and where you're getting your meat from. There is a real true connection. And that that's really what fuels me to want to spend the money and to get the right produce is that I feel I'm getting a bit of that connection and knowing that I will go and visit them makes all the difference to me and bringing my children along. And I mean, they love coming down to your shops and playing with the animals in the windows and things like that. I really appreciate it. And I hope that you keep fighting the good fight and doing the right thing and keep helping me educating mums about eating the right way when it comes to food. So thank you so much, Joel. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks very much, Anna. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions or topics that you would like me to speak about, I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via my website, annamaria.com.au. And remember to subscribe so that you get each new episode as they become available. I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to write Mumsvia a review on iTunes. And you can support us even further by making a donation on annamaria.com.au forward slash mumspire. Lastly, I want to say a big thank you to our Danish friend Jesper Huff for making our very own Mumspire jingle. Thanks again for tuning in. 
Until next time, take care of yourself and your loved ones.